question earlier about um, the purpose of religion. And I think that uh, it's very important for us to consider that question. Why do people go to uh, temples? Uh, why do people uh, perform rites? Why, why do they follow all these rules and regulations? Why do they deny themselves uh, things like meat or, 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 or pork or, or, or cattle? Right? I mean, these are all good and, and, and enjoyable things. right? Why, why would people do all these things? And I think that at the heart of religion really is uh, the, the desire to try to get right with, with a higher being, right? uh, to follow a set of rules in which we make ourselves pleasing to some order or someone who is uh, more powerful than, than us, to, to, to get to heaven, so to speak. Not, not maybe in one shot, but over a series of cycles, say for the Buddhists, or for the Hindus and the Muslims, you know, to, to please a higher being. But the fundamental question that we want to ask ourselves today is, does it really work? Does religion really work? Is it possible to become acceptable to God uh, by the things that we do? The rights and the religious regulations that we perform. Can we make ourselves right with God? And I think that this passage today answers that question. Now, we have looked at three parts, basically, in the book of Romans. The first part began by talking about God's power, right? Specifically, God's power to save, right? It was said very clearly in verse 16 to verse 17, that it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from first to last by faith. So, the first part is that it is God's power that saves us. And the second part went on to show that actually we need God's saving power because the world is in need of salvation, because the world is actually turning away from God and worshipping idols and ignoring God, and it needs God to save it. Now, last week, we turned our eyes to the good person, the moral person, the good Jew, right, who tries to to attain salvation by following uh, good works, by following the law. But we felt that uh, it was very clear in God's word that you cannot actually save yourselves by, going, by being a good moral person because God judges based on the truth. He judges based on righteousness. That means he's always spot on and righteous in his, in his judgment. And he judges the secret things of men's hearts. So there's nowhere to hide. So based on those tr- uh, right, of truth, righteousness, and, and secrets, no one can escape God's gaze. Right? He sees everything and he will judge you for it. Now this week, we turn our eyes to a different sort of person. Another person who thinks that perhaps they can make themselves right without the God's power. Last week it was the, the good person, right? Okay, The good person, well, no, he can't save himself. But this week we turn our eyes to the religious person. The person who thinks that they save themselves through the power of religion by following religious practices that they may be saved. So it begins with the the Jew in mind when it says, but now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the Lord, boast in the Lord, if you know of his will and approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher 
of little children because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now, if we look at this passage, uh, we see that here the Jews see themselves as very religious people. In fact, it says there that they boast in verse 17. They rely on the law, but not only do they rely on the law, they brag or they boast about their relationship in God through the law. Now, you know sometimes... Uh, if you do this, those surveys, right, and people ask you, are you a religious person? And you know, you tick the box, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm moderately religious or very religious, right? Uh, and we sort of do it in a very casual way. But for the Jewish person, they would bear uh, their religion with all seriousness as a mark of pride and honor, right? They would brag about their religion. It's like for them... Being a Jew and having the law is like saying I'm a, I'm a president scholar, I'm from Harvard or Oxford or something. It's like a big deal. And why they bragged about it was, first of all, because they had the law. They had special knowledge. Really, they had special knowledge. You know, nowadays, I mean, the first service was talking about people saying they have special knowledge. But, but they really, really have special knowledge because of all the people in the world, they were the only people who had received God's divine law. They knew God's character. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong. And they knew the prophecies about God. Now, because of that, in verse 18, they are able to approve of what is superior because they know and have a higher level of knowledge of God and what is right or wrong. See, for the Gentile, yeah, you know, we have the conscience to guide us, but our conscience is a very, very, like we saw last week, very imperfect guide. You know, sometimes our consciences are too sensitive. So we, are, we think that something is wrong actually when there's nothing wrong with it. Right? Maybe it's our upbringing or maybe it's our perception. But sometimes our, our consciences are hardened. Uh, our consciences allow us to do things when actually they are wrong before God, but, but we're not really sensitive enough to realize it. So it's very imperfect, right? We are influenced by all sorts of things, our own thoughts, our own fallib- you know, uh, fallenness, society and things like that. But in the law, truly, in verse 18, they they know of what is superior because they have the law. In fact, if you look up here in the slide, right? It says uh, in chapter 19 of Psalm, verse 7 to 11, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the law are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And this is an objective assessment of the law. It is not like a subjective one, like sort of saying, you know, I got something, wow, how precious it is. But it is an objective view of the law because the law really is God speaking to his people in terms of what he desires and his own character. And that's why when it goes on to say that you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. Now, he's not saying that because he's saying, oh, you know, ah, nah, you think you're high and mighty, you want to teach other people, right? But in a sense, they do have light to the blind. With the law, they are able to instruct the foolish. 
they are able to to be a teacher to little children, right? Because with the law, they have something that the rest of the world doesn't have. It's like the light of the world, right? And other people are blind. And I think that that is a very very real statement. You see, because today when we think of evangelism, uh, how 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 do we see uh, people? Um, how do we see people bringing good news uh, to people? Well, in the New Testament, God tells us, especially in the book of Matthew chapter 28, that we go out into the world, right? It's called a centipedal. You know, centipedal. Uh, it's like we go out, lah. you know, we go from the center, we go out, right? Centipedal into the world. We go from the middle, out to the world. But actually in the Old Testament, instead of being centipedal, the world was meant to come and look to Israel. It was centrifugal, where from the rest outside come in, right? Centrifugal, right? Correct, right? Yeah, yeah, see, okay, correct. It's like a bathtub or a shower, right? You know, when you shower, then, you know, all the water goes round and round to the middle. But that was what Israel was meant to be. Like the world was meant to see Israel and say, hey, you are very different. And you're meant to come and learn from it. That's why when, in, during Solomon's time, remember the Queen of Sheba would come, and recognize, wow, Solomon, you have wisdom, wiser than all the people of the world, because they had God's instruction, God's law. And in fact, God says this, right? He says in Isaiah chapter 22, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I take hold of your hand, I, I will keep you and make you and make you and make a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes for the blind, to free the captives from prison, to release from judgment those who sit in darkness. See, that is the role of God's people. They are to be like the light of the world. The world are to, is to come to Israel and say, yes, these people are different. The way they have the Sabbath, the way they treat one another, the way they look after their poor. It's a bit like, um, you know, sometimes you read the newspaper about how, you know, in America, people use the Singapore maths textbook, right? How, you know, we are, we're like, Singapore is bringing the light of mathematics into the world, right? We're very proud. No, we bring... We open the eyes of the world to, 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 to mathematics, right? Well, in a much, much greater way, that was what Israel was meant to be to the world. But the problem in verse 21 is, it says, you know, you then teach others, but do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who are whole idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, this would be really shocking to the Jew, right? Because the problem is not in the law, the law is perfect in itself. Is that they know the law and they want to teach people, they want to be guide to the blind, but by the way they live, instead of bringing glory and honor and drawing people to God, they are actually an embarrassment to God. They're actually embarrassing God. In fact, God's name is blasphemed because of the way they act. Now, if you look at the, the charges that are made here, you sort of think, hey, it cannot be, right? Yeah, I'm sure that all the Jews reading this, they don't all steal, right? It can't be that all of them are committing adultery, right? Hey, where, how do they rob the temple, right? You know, for the Jew to rob the temple is a very big deal, right? Uh, how come, why, why is Paul using all these like gross 
examples, right? I think that he's not saying that every single Jew does it, but I think he's looking back at the, the, the evidence of the Jewish history. Right? Because over, it's not just that generation that he's saying, oh, like, you guys, ah, yeah, nah, you, you, all robber, robbers and adulterers. He's saying that when you look back at the evidence of Jewish history, the Jewish nation has actually blasphemed, caused the Gentiles to blaspheme God's name. See, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 9, right, which is up here, one of the reasons why God took Israel out into exile, into captivity, was because indeed they were doing all these things. They were stealing, they were murdering, they were committing adultery and perjury, they were burning incest to ball, they were following other gods they had not known, and then they come and stand the house of the Lord and say, we are safe, we are safe. Right? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you, but I've been watching. So I think he's not actually saying that, oh, each and every one of you individually, yes, you're an adulterer, you're a sinner, you're a, you're a robber, right? But he's saying collectively, the Jewish nation are guilty of all these things. They, in the past, in the history, they have committed idolatry, even in, in the temple itself. They have committed adultery. They have stolen and murdered. And even the kings have done that. Look, even King David did that. And he's saying, look, Instead of being the light to the world, you, you make people laugh at me. Right? You've dishonored me. I remember reading uh, in the newspaper uh, quite a while ago, and I, I can sort of understand what is being said here, that uh, many times in, in the Philippines, you know when people get kidnapped, right? They said that the, the people actually don't want to call the police because there are times where the kidnappers themselves are the police. Right? And because of that, the, the name of the police is actually dishonored, right? Because of those few who have, who have sinned in a way. But I think that there's much more than that. I think God is not saying that it's just a few bad apples, right? But he's saying the whole Jewish nation is bad. Because he says in verse 23, right? We, we, this is like the, you know, today many Pakyao was fighting um, uh, Floyd Mayweather. It's like the big uppercut, right? Because he says, you... You who boast in the law, don't you dishonor God by breaking the law? Now, I think that if you go back to chapter 1, verse 28, to verse 32, they are breaking the law because every one of them has been filled with different sorts of sin, envy, murder, strife, uh, deceit, malice, gossip, arrogance, insolence. So, this would be a real punch in the face, right, for the, for the religious person. Because what God is really saying here is, you think you're so high and mighty, right? You think you're such a religious person. But you actually dishonor God by breaking the law in the very same way as the people in chapter 1. Those who commit homosexuality and sexual impurity, you think you're better than them, you want to teach them, you want to guide them. But you're no better than them. You, you dishonor God just as much as they dishonor God because your religion is unable to keep the law. You're still a sinner on my side. You can do all these religious things. You might know the law and everything, but you, you're unable to save yourself because the religious person is still breaking the law. Now, the Jew held on to the law 
as part of the mark of his special relationship with God, right? But there was another part which signified their special relationship with the Lord. And that was circumcision. Okay, circumcision was something which they felt, okay, this, this is a mark of my special favour before God. I'm circumcised, right? Now, if you look at verse 25 to 27, it says, look, a circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically but yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. See, they have two things, right? I have the law and I have circumcision. I'm a religious person. I have a special relationship with God. But then the Bible says you can have the written code, the law, and circumcision. But if you are unable to keep the law, you are not truly a Jew. What really counts is the circumcision inside. That makes sense, isn't it? Because, you know, I could come here today and I could wear this t-shirt. University of, I don't know, Oxford or something. Or you, you know, I remember someone gave me this t-shirt. University of Edinburgh. Now, I don't even know where Edinburgh is. I've never been in Edinburgh. I still don't know how good the university is. But I used to wear this shirt because it's very comfortable. University of Edinburgh. But that doesn't mean I'm from the University of Edinburgh. I never attended a lecture. I never, I don't have a student card. never went to the library. So, wearing the external sign doesn't signify the reality inside, doesn't it? And that's what he's saying. Look, you can have the law outside. You can have circumcision outside. But, but inside, are you really a true Jew? Are you really the one who has the relationship with God? If not, you're just a, a, an apostate, a phony, right? In fact, the person who doesn't have the externals, but inside, who obeys the law, he is the one who is actually part of the kingdom of God. Now, I think this is very important that at this point we stop because it shows us that actually the external religion is useless. Without obedience to God's standard of the law, it doesn't matter if I don't eat meat. It doesn't matter if I don't eat pork. It doesn't matter if I don't eat cow. Because I, I, I'm not keeping to the, to the high standards of the law that God wants. All these religious acts, right? Maybe burning joysticks. Uh, I don't know what else do people do, right? Go on pilgrims or something. I don't know. These things are meaningless because they don't impress God because what counts before God is the keeping of the law. Now, I remember reading an interesting article saying that, do you know that when they did a survey uh, many years ago, 86% of Singaporeans regard themselves as religious. This is about maybe 9 out of 10 Singaporeans. They see themselves as religious people. I mean, maybe they don't go and do things at church, or whatever, but they see themselves as religious, right? But I, I find it quite bizarre, right? Because there's a lot of people. And, and, I, and, I, and if you think about it this way, right? You know, when you're driving down the road and someone doesn't indicate and cuts across you in a really inconsiderate manner, well, nine out of ten times, that will be a religious person, right? You know, the person that uh, cut the queue at the shopping mall in front of you, that person is probably a very religious person too, right? Uh, the person that uh, litters, you know, there's a lot of litter around, well, nine out of ten times, it's a religious person also. 
But religion itself doesn't equate to whether you live rightly before God, you see. I mean, some of the most religious people in the world could be very immoral people. So, that's what the charge that uh, God is making here. You can't hide behind religion. You see, the, the Jews are trying to hide behind the law and circumcision, in my, their religion. But God says, look, this is ridiculous because the written code and circumcision are nothing without internal obedience. And that's why in verse 28 to 29 he says, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. No circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Now, I think what's really important here is the idea of praise. You see, if you do all the external religious things, uh, when, when the world looks at you, they think, whoa, very impressive, right? Very religious. Very, very religious person. I remember once I was in the airport. I can't remember. I was in transit. And there was this guy, right? He was dressed with his collar, purple, and this gold thing and everything. And then you see some other people, they're dressed in very religious clothes, like their robes and everything. And they look very religious, right? On the outward, on the outside. And it's very impressive uh, to, to the outside world. But the, the problem is, as we saw last week, God is not uh, worried about the outside. He looks through the ropes, right? And through the outside, he looks into the heart, the truth, the secret things. And what he, he's really worried about is the inside problem, whether you inwardly obey his law, whether you keep to his, his high standard. So, changing the outside without changing the inside is meaningless to God. It's a bit like having cancer, right? Okay, then you have cancer or something, you've got some deep problem with your lung or your heart or something, right? I don't think you have cancer of the heart. Anyway, cancer of the lung, right, or something. Anyway, it's just like saying, okay, I put this big plaster over my lung, right? But it doesn't solve the problem, right? Because the problem is inside, not the, or not the outside. But that's what the, that's, that's what the, Religion is trying to do. Religion is trying to deal with the problem outside in. You're trying to deal with the externals, what is visible, but you can never fix the problem with the heart, which in itself is rebellious against God. But rather, if you want the praise of God instead of man, then you need to fix the inside out. You need to fix the heart problem. But the problem is we can't fix the heart problem by ourselves, because it says there that we need the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Wow, that's amazing. Well, how do you do that, right? Do you need a heart operation? You know, you need a surgeon to open your heart and circumcise your heart. But then you'll be dead, right, or whatever. What actually you need is you need the Holy Spirit working in your heart to change you from the inside out. And that's why in, in, in Romans chapter 3, it says, for what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, so it, it, the, the law itself is perfect, but it's the sinful nature that can't keep the law. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the 
to the Spirit. So what does is, what is, um, Jesus do? He dies as a sin offering, but not only does God give us Jesus as an offering, but He gives us the Holy Spirit so that within our hearts there is an internal desire to want to be transformed from the inside out, to keep the law from within us. So, when we think of religion, religion is a failure. It is a failure because it looks to man and what we can do to please God. But salvation can only come through God because God sends us Jesus as a sin offering. But He doesn't just send us Jesus as a sin offering. He gives us the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts so that we would become more and more like His Son. I like the uh, uh, illustration that I heard at one of the Project Timothy talks, right? where uh, David Cook was saying, you know, if you really want to make your pastor cry, he said, make your pastor really upset. He says, you know, if your pastor is dying in his deathbed, right, to go up to your pastor and say, Pastor, have I been good enough? Right? Have I tried hard enough? Have I been religious enough? And he said, well, then that will make your pastor really sad, right? Because Christianity is not about being good enough or trying hard enough or being religious enough. Christianity is realizing that I'm, I can't be good enough. I can't be religious enough. I need Jesus to actually save me. And I need God to give me the Holy Spirit to help me to live the life that I need to live. See, religious keeps focusing, religion keeps focusing on what I do. Right, it's all about, did I do enough today? Was I good enough today? Did I not overcome my sin enough today? But actually Christianity is about not what I did, but what Jesus did. That Jesus died for me and that God sent me the Holy Spirit. So the focus of religion is all about what I do, right? Christianity is about taking the focus of me and focusing on God. What did God do for me in Jesus and what God do for me in Holy Spirit? And it's only in Christianity, only in focusing on God to save that we are truly able to save ourselves. So let's never fool ourselves to think that religion can actually save, because religion cannot. Uh, it only makes us good on the outside, but on the inside, really nothing has changed, and God is not fooled. Okay. Any questions? Yeah, Sherry? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The top-up idea is actually a very dangerous idea. So, it's almost as if, even if I, uh, even if, if, if Jesus is 99% and I contribute 1%, right, then there is always that danger. I mean, first of all, the practical problem is that 
what happens if my 1% is not enough? I haven't got over the line yet, right? So again, the, the attention is not on what God has done. The attention is what, not on what I'm doing. But I think more than that is beyond the practical thing, is, is, is the theological thing. Because if, if, if chapter 1, verse 17, 19 is true, that the power of God is, is what brings salvation, then it cannot actually mean that we are fairly good and we just need a little bit more to push us over the, the, to, the, to, to, to the past mark, right? You know, it's almost like, you know, oh, uh, you, you know you, it, try as high as you want, you can only get 40%, so Jesus needs to come to give you 10% plus. Uh. It, can, it cannot be that way, you see. Because I think as we saw last week, sin always leads to death. So every time I sin, uh, whether it's gross sin or what we perceive as very normal, everyday sin, like lying or, or not telling the truth, it still results in death. And when you see it that way, it's not about 10%, 90%, whatever. It's, it's, you're already dead, a dead person walking. You deserve death. And, and, and because you deserve death, Jesus needs to, to save you completely, right? So the paradigm in which we view judgment is not about like a basis of marks and a test, but in a sense we are already condemned and judged because we, we, we have failed. From, from the moment we are born, literally, because actually, if you want to think of it even uh, at a deeper level, we, we are actually of the, if you go later in Romans, we are of the family of Adam. And because of Adam's sin, corporately, we are all sinners, either because genetically we are part of Adam, or because corporately, Adam is like our, our figurehead and he sinned, and therefore we are all contaminated by it, you see. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think that um, we are not. Uh, I think the fundamental problem that, that that idea is yes, we are all made in the image of God, but we are corrupted by the fall. And if we, if you look further in the book of Romans, like if you, when we go to Romans chapter three, every person is corrupted by by the fall. So yes, we are capable of doing good, much good. But the problem is, it cannot outweigh the bad that we do, you see. So it comes back like to the car driving illustration last week, right? You can drive perfectly safety, uh, safely for 364 days of the year, but if one day of the year you go to a red light and kill someone, so what? What, what does it mean that you drove 20 kilometers under the speed limit for 364 days of the year? You still committed a sin, you killed someone one day of the year and you still need to pay for it. So I don't think we, we need to see it again like that way, right? Oh, yeah, everybody is capable of doing good. Even Hitler did good, right? I mean, I'm, 
I mean, I, I, I guess like, yeah, you can say Hitler did good economically, you know, to, to, to Germany, and there were things that he did that, you know. So in every bad person, yes, they, people do good. But the problem is, can you do good 24 hours a day, all the days of your life, to the standard that God has set? You see, that, that is the fundamental problem. So I think the problem that the world has is, it keeps thinking about all the good we can do, thinking that, oh, that, that, that means that that excuses us all the, 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 the bad things that we do. But, but if God judges in truth, and He judges secrets, and He judges right, righteously, right? So if you, the righteous judge cannot overlook any sin that we do. He cannot say, well, ah, that one day of the year, like, you knock someone over. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? It means that every act of sin has to be paid for. So the question is not how good you can be, or how many good acts you can make. It's how are you going to, to, to solve the problem of the bad things that you do do. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, actually think about it, right? Hey, King David was a pretty good guy, right? But he committed adultery with Bathsheba and uh, he, he killed uh, Uriah. Man, he was just having a bad week. But if you put the rest together the rest of his life, I mean, he did so much good. He was a good man, right? But it was just that week, lah. Bad week. That night, yeah, bad, bad, you know. It's, yeah. But it doesn't work that way, right? Mm. Yep, sorry? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. 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 Uh, I think actually now it's both. But, but I think the injunction is for us to go out into the world with the gospel. You notice in the Old Testament, the Jews are never ever told, go out into the world to the Gentiles with the gospel. But Jesus is very radical, right? Because after his resurrection, he says, you know, you go out, and, and, and bring the gospel and baptize people to the ends of the world, right? And tell them the gospel. So, you, ne- you know, you, you think of how many pages the Old Testament is. There is nothing in the Old Testament similar in terms of to go out with the gospel, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Or even like in the book of Acts, where, you know, Paul is constantly pushing to go further and further out. You know, he wants to... He wants to plow and plant the seed where people haven't worked the field before. That, that's never seen in the in in, in, in the Old Testament. Oh, I think we, we, we see that's the thing, you see. That's why when you read the Bible, there's a progression. Right? It's, not, it's not about forsaking it. It's like, <clears throat> as we move through, <clears throat> we, we look through the, the prism of, of Jesus. We look through the, the lens of Jesus Christ. Right? We don't go back to live as Jews. We live as people after the cross of Jesus. So if Jesus tells us that this is the way we're supposed to live now, then, then we should, right? Because if you want to say, well, you know, should we keep it in tension? So should we then go back to the temple and start sacrificing even though Jesus has done across? No, of course not, right? Because, because that's going back to <clears throat> before Jesus. But now that we live post the cross, 
Well, this is, this is what God wants us to do in this time after the cross. So we, we cannot go back backwards because the, the, the revelation of, of God and, and the plan of God is always moving forward towards a certain point. This is where we are at and this is where uh, in part of the sovereign plan of God we belong to. Yeah. 